Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Welcome back to Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. It's me and Karen again this week. I hope you liked our guest of Tariq last week and we will have another guest for you before the end of the season. But for now it's just us, so hopefully that is alright by you. We've liked hearing from you over the past fortnight on our Twitter, Tumblr, email. We've had contact from you guys on all of that. And if anyone wants to reach out now, if you've been waiting and you feel like this is your moment, add us on Twitter, NATW Podcast, or email us, NATW Podcast at gmail.com, or add us on Tumblr, which is Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast on Tumblr, or one word. I've got one other request for you if you guys want to do us a favour. If you guys download the podcast from iTunes, uh, whether it's American iTunes, Australian iTunes, UK iTunes, or wherever you may be from. If you want to go over there and actually give the podcast a rating and a comment, you can feel free. Uh, It would be nice if it was a good rating. It actually really does help us to continue the show if it ends up getting on the new and noteworthy podcast page or something like that. So if you want to go over there and rate the podcast or leave a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. So that's enough from me for the moment. Here's Karen to do Night School's recap. All right, this episode picks up right where Heart Monitor left off. The vet is gone out of Derek's car. The Alpha has arrived and Derek is seemingly dead. Scott and Styles run into the school to try and escape the Alpha. The two of them spend most of the episode running around the school trying to get out of there. At one point, a janitor finds them and tries to kick them out, but he's quickly murdered by the Alpha. We then cut away from the school and to Allison, who's waiting for Scott to pick her up outside of her house, but he's late. It looks like they're going on another double date with Jackson and Lydia. Just as Jackson and Lydia arrive, Allison gets a text from Scott telling her to meet him at the school. All three of them go there. After realizing that Jackson and Lydia are in the school, Scott and Styles meet up with them in the lobby, hoping to escape together in Jackson's car. Rather quickly, however, the Alpha goes after the entire group and they flee to one of the classrooms and barricade themselves in. Scott tells the others that it's Derek that's after them and that he's the one who has been killing the other people in town. They eventually end up in the chemistry lab. There's a door to the fire escape, but it has a deadbolt on it. Scott says that he's going to find the dead janitor and get the key from his body. Lydia makes him a bomb using chemicals in the classroom and he goes out on his own, despite Allison begging him not to. And just as Scott gets the keys from the janitor, the Alpha finds him and forces him to transform. He goes after his friends, intending to kill them, but at the last second, and after hearing Allison's voice, he stops himself from opening the door to the classroom and attacking them. Just then, the police show up and the Alpha is forced to leave Scott and his friends alone. At the end of the episode, we see that Derek's body is gone and the vet is still alive. We learn that the Alpha doesn't just want Scott's friends dead, he wants Scott to do the killing. He must get rid of his old pack before he can join the Alpha. Allison also tells Scott that she can't trust him and tells him not to call her. So, Natalie, what were your favorite lines in this episode? With this one, as far as the funny, which... There wasn't a terrible amount of comedic moments in that this is was oh. a very fast-paced episode. Not re- it didn't have subplots. It had one driving plot the whole way through. The whole thing, nearly the whole thing, was shot in like darkness. It was really very one track and very serious. They still do manage to deliver a bit of humour under pressure. And the first one I really liked was when they were running around right when they first got locked in and are looking out the windows, just Scott and Styles trying to work out a way out. Scott says, what do we do? And Styles says, we get to my Jeep, we get out of here. You seriously think about quitting your job? Because Styles has accepted that Deacon is 
the alpha, and Scott does not seem to be processing this yet. And then the other bit I really liked was actually a Jackson line, where they pull up to the school, Lydia and Jackson, and Alison's already gone inside, and Jackson kind of looks curiously at Styles' car from where the Alpha has taken out the battery and, and thrown it through the window, and he says, the hood on that piece of crap Jeep looks crappier than usual. It was funny, but it also kind of reminded me of that thing that cool people do, where they pretend they know less about something than they actually do in order to seem cool. Do you know what I mean? Like, I've seen this happen with, for example, in my life, like knowing celebrities' names. Like someone who kind of thinks they're... It's cooler, in a way, to kind of say, oh yeah, you know that that Harry Potter movie, that that Emma girl or whatever, rather being say, oh yeah, Emma Watson, she played Hermione in Harry Potter. If you know what I mean, one seems cooler because you're not nerdy enough to know the facts about... And and that isn't just like a a fandom, like, you know, a fantasy fandom thing. It happens like if you know facts about something, you are deemed to be like less aloof and cool because you're interested in other things instead of being wrapped up in yourself. And that is what that kind of meant to me. Like, Jackson knows who Styles is. He could have said, hey, what's up with the hood of Styles' Jeep? But he kind of says it in this way that makes me think it's that kind of defence mechanism, if you know what I mean. It's like Lydia always being like, oh, who are you to people? She knows who they are. It's a small town. She invites them to her parties. She knows who these people are, but she acts like she doesn't. And it's this, yeah. it's this act of aloofness meaning that you're cooler than other people and I really thought that that's what Jackson was doing when he was like because he could have said oh what's up with Styles's car they know they both know who Styles is they both know what they're doing there you know you know what I mean and it would just yeah that really struck me for for that yeah my um one of my favorite lines is probably just about everybody's favorite line in this mm-hmm. episode where they're in the classroom and they're piling all the stuff in front of the door and Styles is like guys 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 and he says okay nice work really beautiful job everyone now what should we do about the 20 foot wall of windows and the camera just pans out and like literally there's this yeah 20 foot wall of windows yeah. and they're like oh crap but uh that's just so funny it gets me every time His delivery on that is fantastic and I noticed when we watched it he just he does this kind of he kind of jerks his head and he kind of does it twice like gesturing towards yeah gesturing towards the windows and it's just like I can feel like the disdain I can feel his frustration it's such a good delivery and it's so funny and I mean it is so true because he's just standing there going um hello guys styles talking listen (laughs) and they're all panicking and he's just so far ahead of them, like, and it's yeah. just, you know, no one in the show benefits from not listening to Styles ever, so, <laughs> yeah. That's true, yeah. My other favorite line, or, you know, back and forth a little bit, isn't funny at all, and it's actually really sad, and for some reason it really hit me harder this time around than it did the first few times that I saw it, but it's at the very end when Allison is basically telling Scott that she doesn't want anything to do with him right now and he's just saying please don't say anything please don't talk and his pleading here is really heartbreaking and she just says don't call don't call me and it's just like ugh it breaks my heart because you know up to this point they're just so perfect together and then you know you get here and of course I understand what Allison is feeling and and you know, what she's going through and everything, but it's just, it's so sad. And for some reason I'm a masochist or something because I just really liked it. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, no, I don't a hundred percent understand 
their breakup in this episode, which we'll get to soon, but it was pretty harsh, yeah. As far as the discussion points go, the first one I had was about Jackson and Allison. And we see this a little bit more in the next episode, too, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more there. But I was kind of wondering, are Jackson's feelings for Allison real or are they fake? Because when she goes into the high school and he, you know, is about to say, be careful, and he hands her the flashlight, to me that looked like really genuine, that he was really actually worried for her. And then later on when Styles punches him and he goes down and Allison rushes to his side and you see that sort of like smile on his face and it quickly goes away because he doesn't want anybody to see him smiling. That was very fake and very calculated to me what he was doing there. So I just wanted your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I was confused by this a bit because when Allison is talking to him outside the school and, you know, she's all like, oh, you know, concern's a good look on you. I was confused as whether it was meant to be sort of flirting or just trying to draw him out, like, from a human, like, or friend point of view that she was like, oh, he can be nice, like, as a person. And then, again, with the punching, you know, it might just be that she's compassionate in general, but I was a bit shocked that she, you know, ran to him like that. I mean, it may be that he really does like her because, I mean, he's he's pretty simplistic, Jackson, and she's sort of nice and kind, and Liz- Lydia has started being really harsh to him. And it could be that he does really like her, but we, I mean, we see in the previous episode that he was calculatedly trying to get close to Allison in order to find out more about Scott. And so it's either the whole thing is an act, or through doing that he actually does really like her. And I'm not really sure which one it is. Uh, What did you mean about the calculated smile, like, when he went down? Because I didn't quite catch that. When he went down, she turned away to say something to Styles, I think. And you kind of saw him smile, like, oh, yeah, you know, she's at my side. And he was happy about it. Mm. And then she turns back to him, and and the smile just vanishes, and he pretends to, like, hold his face again or whatever. Uh, The thing I noticed about that scene as well, in regards to the whole Jackson and Allison thing, is that when Allison runs over, I mean, I know it's Styles that punches him, and when Allison runs over and is comforting him, Styles looks really angry. Scott doesn't seem too moved. Styles looks really <laughs> angry, and I mean, Lydia looks really angry, like, what the hell is this? But Styles also looks really annoyed, and I'm wondering whether that's like because he's just angry at Jackson or the principle of you're Scott's girlfriend, what are you doing? Or even his anger might be towards Jackson for, you know, cuddling up to Allison because of how Styles feels about Lydia, that, like, even if he doesn't have her, that he's pissed off that her boyfriend isn't treating her right, if you know what I mean. He seemed... Yeah. Styles, aside from the punching, seemed very angry at the Allison and Jackson interaction. Yeah, I think part of it's definitely because of his father and because Mm. of the whole situation. But yeah, I think you definitely have a point there that, I mean, Styles is very quick. He knows what's going on. He sees it. So I think, you know, definitely part of it is him being, you know, mad that Jackson isn't paying attention to Lydia or Mm. anything like that. As far as Allison, I, I never got the sense that she felt anything toward Jackson. I always thought it was just a friendship, sort of like, like you were saying before wanting to get that human side out of him and and liking the concerned look on his face, but not for any romantic reasons or anything like that. I think she's maybe less obsessively so, but very one-track mind like Scott, where that's really all. He's the only one that she's thinking about. 
and then Jackson, I, I think it definitely started off as that calculating thing. And I'm pretty sure they say this later on. Scott, I believe, says it that, you know, how could you not like Allison? I mean, she's such a nice person. She's so kind and funny and pretty and everything. So I think part of it is still that calculating. He's trying to do, you know, something there to get close to Scott to figure out what's going on with him. But another part is he probably is starting to care a little bit more about Allison. Mm. And yeah, you're right. I think we do see that more in the final few episodes of this season. My first thought was right in the opening of the episode when Styles and Scott run into the school and they're kind of holding the doors and they are trying to look for a way to stop it and Styles looks out through the windows and sees the bolt cutters and then, you know, decides to go out and get them and bolt the door and Scott's like, no, you can't do that, you can't do that and Styles is like, no, I'm doing it and he just opens the door, runs out and grabs them and runs back in. This was quite interesting to me because do you think that Styles? in general, is braver than Scott or more irrational? Like, why did Scott let Styles go when he at least has supernatural powers? He stood a better chance unarmed. Do you think it's that Scott is still not used to being a werewolf? Like, he doesn't register, oh, I could go do that and be safer than Styles, and that because he's more cautious and not as reckless, he didn't do it because he was considering himself on the same level as Styles? Or do you think that Styles is just generally braver than Scott, even with Scott having the powers? Yeah, I think part of it could be that Scott doesn't necessarily register that he is, you know, more powerful now. And I think we brought that up an episode or two ago, too. But I kind of took it as like, Styles is always the one who's thinking quickly and thinking ahead. And he knew that they had to get the bolt cutters and there was only seconds to get there before the alpha was going to come. And I think Scott was too afraid. And I think maybe Styles knew that and he just went for it because he knew he had to get it. I don't know if it's being irrational or braver. I think he just knew that's what they had to do and he was going to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to start making a note of all of these moments and I don't mean this in like a Styles versus Scott way because there's other scenes that don't even involve Scott where things like this come up. Styles is always kind of throwing himself in the line of fire even when he's the least powerful one there. There's a, a scene in the second season where he, they're facing off against an enemy and he pushes two of the wolves behind him. Like, he is defending two of the wolves with his body, and it's like, they're both so much stronger than him, and like, but it's just because he sees them as people that he cares about, and, you know, that's it. And then we have that whole thing of, you know, when he says later, like, I'm not a hero, and it's, it's just a very interesting story arc over, you know, overreaching story arc of the two seasons that he is like that, and still considers himself to be so, like, beneath everyone else in terms terms of not even power but like attitude uh we shall see where that goes if that becomes something in season three as well i guess obviously scott is our protagonist but i will stick by my theory that styles is set up as the classic hero yeah i definitely agree the other thing that i wanted to say in regards to scott and styles in this episode is and I wrote this down. I'd forgotten that Styles actually used the same line because I've written down, why does Scott throw Derek under the bus? And then a few minutes later when I was watching, I was like, oh, that is actually what they even referred to it as. But yeah, why does he tell the others that the killer was Derek? Because the look on Styles' face when he does it is just like, I mean, Styles ends up like going along with it. Like he picks it up and he kind of plays along with Scott's game talking to the others. But then he pulls him aside and he's like, good job. Why have you done this? <laughs> is it because he thinks that Derek's dead? 
and so he's blaming someone who can't get in trouble because he knows it's not Derek and he knows it's, there's still going to be more killings and things so how does blaming Derek solve the problem if there's obviously still a killer on the loose if he's sending people on a manhunt for someone he thinks is dead does he think he's being clever because when he they all start asking him why did he do this what did he do he you know is so overwhelmed and it's like he clearly didn't think this lie through I mean Allison says later that he's a terrible liar and he, he just clearly didn't think this through he has no answers Styles pulls him aside and is like why have you done this and even seems a bit morally affronted that Scott has sort of betrayed Derek in this way and earlier in the episode Styles seemed to be all for ditching Derek's dead body like Styles is like what about Derek's car we could take his car and Scott's like and him and Styles like yeah and him whatever like you know <laughs> and then when Scott actually says Derek is the murderer he's kind of like no this is a terrible plan about it and of course Scott is more concerned with his snapping at Allison than he is about you know implicating an innocent man who he's already got in trouble for right. murder who he knows didn't do it so <laughs> what do you think about the Scott Derek and Styles thing here in regards to blaming Derek yeah it, it, well it wasn't very good plan if it was the plan and yeah he definitely didn't think it through but I I just I I don't know maybe it just came to him and he went with it that's sort of how the feeling that I got from it but also I'm thinking maybe he chose Derek because it was the most plausible answer because it didn't seem like Jackson or Lydia or any of the others were going to take I don't know as an answer so they needed a name they needed something because they knew that Scott and Styles knew more of what was going on than they did and so maybe he just panicked and said Derek because that was something that would make sense to them considering you know Derek's been in trouble before and you know the type of person that he is or seems to be Mm. but yeah I mean either way it, it wasn't a very good idea was it no and it was so mean like I know that he wasn't doing it to be mean I think I believe that Scott wasn't doing it because he hates Derek like he wasn't doing it to like oh if Derek's still alive this is gonna get in trouble it wasn't a cruel thing but it was so mean to me I mean if he thought Derek was dead obviously no harm is gonna come of it but if he really thought Derek was dead and the killer was still out there, it certainly wasn't going to help the situation with actually potentially getting rid of the killer. And it just seemed like such... I mean, betrayal is a strong word because they're not friends, but they are starting to work together and it just seemed really morally questionable to me and I liked that Styles, even though he hates Derek at this point, I liked that Styles was like, dude, that was really morally questionable to him about (laughs) it. I, I just don't know how Scott thought that was going to solve anything. My next point is a really quick one, and it's just sort of random, but have you seen the movie The Faculty? No, I haven't. I saw your notes about this, so you're going to have to explain it to me. Oh, okay. Well, this is, like, one of my all-time favorite movies, and it's it's a really bad movie, but it's just one of those that's so bad it's good, and it's from 1998, so it's pretty old, and it's one of those, like, cult classic movies that's really bad, but everybody really loves it anyway, <laughs> and I'm actually, I hopped on the IMDb page for it, and there's a lot of fairly big actors that were in this that I didn't even realize. It's been a really long time since I've seen it, but Josh Hartnett, Salma Hayek, Usher, John Stewart apparently was in it too, but Elijah Elijah Wood is the big one. Yeah, he's one of the characters. It's about aliens and about 
aliens um, taking over people's bodies and that sort of thing. It takes place in a high school, but there's a scene near the end where one of the main characters is running behind all these bleachers and the alien is after them and the bleachers start closing and they're in sections and it starts closing one at a time and, you know, I won't give away the ending or anything, but that's just one of, like, the climactic scenes in that movie mm. and I don't know if they did it on purpose or if it was just a cool thing to do with the bleachers, but that scene with... Scott made me remember that and I just really loved that movie so it was really cool seeing that. You'll definitely have to watch the movie. I think you'd like it. It probably was because I mean I was watching some panels recently like Teen Wolf panels from um, various conventions and Russell Mulcahy who is one of the he's one of the creative heads of Teen Wolf under Jeff Davis. I'm not sure if he's a director or a cinematographer. Yeah he was speaking in one of the panels about how they had a certain scene that was shot as a tribute to another movie. It wasn't this scene. It was something that they film backwards and then play in order to make it look slightly skewed. And I, I can't remember what episode it was from. Oh. Uh, but it was definitely done as a direct tribute to another film, if you know what I mean. To a, It was oh, okay. a proper homage. So this may have been as well. He's co-executive producer on Teen Wolf, so he would have had you know a fair bit of control there in regards to the imagery of the show so it may have been totally on purpose it may have been a reference to the faculty that would be cool yeah Yeah. that movie the shooting backwards scene that was allison when she went to the hospital to visit lydia right i think so i think it was yes i think it was something because she walks in and it's really creepy and you can tell and i think i do remember reading somewhere that that was her walking backwards actually you know it's played in normal but there's just something skewed about it and it's because they shot it backwards yeah the real point that i wanted to bring up for this scene too was the alpha's howl hurts jackson like it hurts scott because of the claw marks in the back of jackson's neck and i don't really understand this and i'm not sure we know all the answers yet but i was kind of wondering like why and you know how does jackson's injury work and especially we know now that the claws enables you to share memories too and i didn't know if given that derek isn't an alpha at this point you know whether Mm. that flies or he just didn't mean to do it so therefore the the memories weren't shared or something but i don't understand jackson's wound either because it doesn't really seem to come into play he seems to be a bit tuned in to what's going on with the wolves like it's not healing so he knows that it's a supernatural wound or he knows that it's not normal but i'm not really sure what happens with it i mean it doesn't really come into play with what happens to him in season two this just seems to be maybe alerting him and making him more curious in regards to the werewolves. Yeah, because Derek is a beta, so I don't know whether the memory sharing was something that, seeing as we know that from the script for season three, if that's something that just the alphas can do and he's not an alpha. So, yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, yeah, hopefully we get some more details about that in season three. If we've missed something or if anyone has the sort of concise answers about Jackson's wound I would like to know because I've never been able to figure that out. So my final point here was that, you know, once everyone gets trapped in the classroom, everyone seems to think calling the police is a good idea. Obviously they don't know how supernatural the situation is, but, you know, they're all pressuring 
they try to call the police, they, they're not able to because they were tipped off that there would be pranks about it and Jackson kind of suggests overriding that by Styles calling his dad and telling him that it wasn't a prank. Everyone seems to be really into this idea except Styles, who obviously does not want to get his dad into danger, so when Styles it's kind of like Styles decides, okay, I'm going to have to do this, but not before he punches Jackson in the face. I think even before he punches Jackson, he knows that he's going to have to do it, either because they're out of options or that, you know, secrets will start coming out in regards to the werewolves mm-hmm. if he doesn't. But it's almost like he decides that he has to do it. Then he's like, Jackson, I hate you so much for making me do this, punches him in the face, and then, you know, straight away calls his father. Do you think, is Styles too protective of his father, given that his father is a policeman? Like, he's kind of like this whenever there's murder scenes or anything like that, and obviously Styles now knows, you know, that there's something big and bad out there, but... Does he think his father is more vulnerable than himself because he's happy to put himself in this situation or is it just a matter of that he puts himself last at all times? And do you think that his protectiveness is warranted or that, you know, because once the police come, the alpha does sort of run away. So is it just a, you know, a irrational family love thing or do you think that Styles his protectiveness is unwarranted or if it is actually a valid thing? I think that it's valid because obviously he doesn't have a mother so I mean his dad is his whole family so I can see that he's really protective of him because of that however um, sometimes it does seem a little too much and I'm thinking back to a couple episodes ago when Scott and Styles got into the argument and Styles was mad at Scott because his father got hit by the car that whole part mm. and I thought Styles was so mad at Scott but I, I'm still trying to figure out why he was actually mad at Scott like it didn't seem logical that he would blame him for a car that was backing up into you know his father who just didn't see him there I mean and the mountain lion and all that and I know that Scott's wrapped up in all of this and that not that it's his fault but that he's a part of it so maybe there's a little anger there but sometimes it just seems like Styles is way 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 worried about his father and I'm actually going to get into that too in the next discussion because there are some things that happen in the next episode but I I think it is warranted though because I mean if you only have one parent and your father is the sheriff he doesn't know what's going on there's reason to be worried about it Mm. and styles as far as him putting himself in danger and all that i think maybe he sees it differently as he knows what's going on therefore he's prepared even though he's just a kid he is smart and he if he knows what's going on then at least he can prepare himself and so he knows what's out there whereas his father is totally in the dark and that makes it a little bit more dangerous plus he's the sheriff so he has to go out to all these scenes and you know who knows who's going to be there in the dark just waiting to attack whoever comes along do you think that that would potentially change if Chef Stalinsky does find out about their whole werewolf scene or that Styles will still be, you know, the pushing his dad behind him, you know, if he got into a situation with his father like he has been in with some of the others, do you think that he would still be, that he would still act the same way or that he would sort of let his dad protect him? I think he would still be pushing his dad behind him because that's just Styles' nature, you yeah. know, I'm 
I think he would rather be the one getting injured or getting killed or something than having to go through having his father killed and living with that and everything. So, I, yeah, I think mm. that's just nature. I I mean, it, it might change a little bit to the point where maybe he's a little less protective of his father because if his father knew, then his father could be prepared as well and yeah. know what he was going up against. But, yeah, I think that's just Styles' nature and it, it really wouldn't change a whole lot. My next point was about the fact that Scott now has to get rid of his old pack. And so here's our proof that humans do count as pack then. That's sort of a thing that's going to come up in season three. So I don't know if that just slipped a lot of people's minds or, or yeah. what. But. Yeah, I mean, I didn't remember that. So it was also just like sort of Scott's interpretation of it as well, that the alpha was getting him to cut himself off from his old life. And Scott was the one who referred to it as pack. And he might not know the actual facts as, as far as pack dynamics count, but he knew that the alpha needed him to cut himself off for his, from his old life and allegiances. And it's a matter of whether pack is just allegiances or whether it is actually something more bonding, like a, an actual definition if you know what I mean, like, you know, the difference between sort of friends and family, you know, you can call someone your family, but technically, like biologically, they, they may not be. And whether the pack is like a biological thing or a psychic bond thing and that only certain people legitimately count or whether it is just the alpha is like, I am allowing you into my pack, you're alleged to me what that means, if you know what I mean. Because obviously we've said the difference yeah. between human and werewolves is that the alpha would legitimately have, it's not a matter of control, it's not a matter of you going into class and you know you have to obey the teacher. They have to obey the alpha. He can control them so but the humans obviously he couldn't do that too so yeah that's right. my main question about the humans as pack thing and on top of that like even regardless of whether that's the truth or it's just scott's interpretation why would jackson and lydia be considered as pack or you know why would scott think that they're part of his pack because they're not close i mean you can't even really say that they like each other and you know they have sort of a a weak bond through the fact that you know scott and Styles are friends. Scott's going out with Allison. Allison's friends with Lydia, and Lydia's going out with Jackson. I mean, that doesn't really make a pack. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. It's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, maybe that the Alpha thinks that that's. I mean, they are kind of the only people they hang out with. Yeah, it's you know at this point, you know, they are kind of you know, who would you call Scott's friend after Styles? Like it's Allison. <laughs> And then yeah. Lydia and Jackson, they're the only other people he talks to, pretty much. Yeah, and um true. And so, I don't really know, but, I mean, they're the best he's got. And I think that that's something that we see a lot in high school dramas, is that people who are friends, like I'm doing inverted commas, don't really like each other that much, <laughs> or they don't start out liking each other that much, even though they're still hanging around together. Like, season one of Glee comes to mind, like, when all of the Glee Club have sort of committed to being in the Glee Club and they defend each other, but they don't really like each other. And then, obviously, as time passes, that original group does come to be actual friends. But so much of the first season is that they sort of stick up for each other, but they do not like each other, really, like when it comes to their personal relationships. So, I don't know, it could be like that. It doesn't really make that much sense, but I guess they're the only other people he talks to. Speaking of Glee... You know, I just wanted to touch on Allison and Scott's relationship, especially now at the end of this episode where they're on a break, I guess, is, is what happens. But, you know, 
their relationship sort of fell into the stereotypical season one story arc that usually is kind of one of my pet peeves. And I bring up Glee because the whole Finn and Rachel first season relationship Mm -hmm. actually almost mirrors Scott and Allison. And, you know, I just wanted to say that I like slow burns better than getting together, breaking up, getting together. Because to me, that never really lasts. And I'm thinking of Psych. Have you watched Psych at all? No, I have not. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, well, if you guys have out there, listeners, you'll know who I'm talking about with um, two of the main characters. But it took like five seasons for them to get together. And it was a little bit dragged out. But, you know, you were pulling for them the whole time. And it just feels like a more solid connection than somebody who... I mean, Allison and Scott got together in like, what, the second or third episode? Yeah. And then... They've already broken up halfway through, and then they get back together, and then, you know, obviously in season two, things go all over the place as well, Mm -hmm. and it's just, I kind of wish that it was more of a straight line sort of thing where it wasn't so up and down because it kind of makes you not really care about them as a couple as much, especially I feel that way by the end of season two. I don't know. What do you think of that? I do agree with that. But on the other hand, I think that that is what makes the show not a romance or not a romantic comedy kind of thing, if you know what I mean. I think that they make them a couple fast because them being, I mean, it's a bit of a contradiction because I want to say because them being a couple isn't the main plot of the show. Similar to Glee, they have the Finn and Rachel stuff and I mean they do try and make that the plot of the show but the plot of the show is that there's a Glee club and they're going to win sectionals or whatever, you know. And in this, the plot is that Scott is a werewolf and he's trying to deal with that and it's not a romance. The show isn't a romance so it doesn't need the slow burn whereas opposed to something like New Girl, it's a show, the main plot is that it's a show about a group of people who are friends with each other hanging out in their house. So it's got a slow burn because that is sort of something that the romance may become like a major part of the plot. And they are trying to make this, they are trying to make this now, I guess, with the, I mean, Glee has too many romances, but with Teen Wolf, you know, obviously (laughs) Alison and Scott is a large plot, but I think that the bigger picture is, you know, Scott's life as a werewolf and the hunters who, you know, happen to be related to Alison, but their romance, there's never really been a moment in Teen Wolf so far where I've been like, oh my God, I wish these people would get together. It's, they haven't really had any buildup of any romances in this show, and they could do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I know people want that to happen, you know, either with Styles and Lydia or Styles and Derek. And that could happen. And I think it would be an interesting side plot. But I don't think I'd like the plot of Teen Wolf if it was just... If the pinnacle was, oh, Scott getting together with a girl, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I don't particularly like the, oh, we're going to break up, oh, we're going to get back together, but... I don't mind the idea of the established story is Scott and his girlfriend as opposed to the established plot being, you know, teen wolf pines after girl and finally gets her. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to do our second episode of the recap, which is 108, Lunatic. This episode opens with Styles taking Scott and a bottle of Jack Daniels out into the woods to get drunk because Alison has broken up with Scott, though Scott seems unwilling to accept that and claims that they are on a break. Styles gets intoxicated and rambly about Lydia and the alcohol doesn't really seem to affect Scott who sort of just sits there. They're approached by a couple of shifty characters who try to take the booze off them and Scott gets very angry starting to shift and he throws the bottle of Jack into a tree so if he can't have it no one can. 
Styles drags him off, and we see the Alpha coming after the thugs, and it attacks them and throws them into a garbage can fire, which is lovely. Back at school, Allison and Lydia discuss the breakup and the events of the night school episode, and Lydia assures Allison that she did the right thing, that Scott lied and left them all to die. Uh, the sheriff's also visiting the school, and Styles lurks his conference with the principal or whatever and sort of begs him to be extra careful. The sheriff says that he knows that they're dealing with things they haven't dealt with before, and he's brought in a state detective. When Scott sits for an economics exam later that day, he's distracted by Allison, and he's sort of traumatised by the alpha wanting him to kill people, and he begins to have visions of the words on his paper rearranging to taunt him about Allison and about killing all his friends. He runs out of the exam, and Styles follows him, and I guess they both forfeit the test. Styles finds Scott in the locker room, under the showers, having a bit of a breakdown. Uh, Styles tricks him into thinking it's an asthma attack and the placebo effect of reacting to that calms Scott down and Styles explains his own history with panic attacks after his mother's death and that's what was happening to Scott. After Scott recovers he asks Styles to help lock him up for the full moon because he thinks it's worse than usual and that he might kill someone. At lacrosse later Coach Finstock promotes Styles and several others to first line due to our favourite friend Greenberg spreading a pink eye ep- epidemic. <laughs> He also promotes Scott to co-captain alongside Jackson, who's really not happy about that. Scott mentions to Styles being able to smell Jackson's jealousy because his senses are heightened by the full moon. And Styles asks him if he can smell other things like attraction and begs him to find out if Lydia could be attracted to him so he can know without the embarrassment of asking her himself. Scott agrees, but when he takes Lydia aside, he actually asks her if Allison still likes him. Lydia says she does, but only as a friend, and that she, Lydia, believes Allison to be wrong about breaking it off, that she knew Scott was saving them all, and that she thinks Allison should be more grateful. Lydia shows her gratitude by making out with Scott all over the office that they're in. Scott comes to practice a bit oddly affected and tells Styles that Lydia's totally into him. Still acting a bit odd, he knocks down two players after getting tackles himself, and he really hurts Danny quite badly, and everyone is upset at him for that. When Styles tells him off for hurting Danny, they overhear Jackson telling Lydia to fix her lipstick and Styles realises what happened between Scott and Lydia. When he comes over to help Scott contain himself for the full moon, he exacts revenge by handcuffing him to the radiator and humiliating him, offering him water from a dog's bowl with his name written on it. Scott starts to taunt Styles about how much Lydia wanted him and threatens to kill Styles. He later changes tack, apologising, saying he's not in control of himself and begging Styles to let him go. Styles sits outside Scott's room, very upset, but not letting him out. Kate and Chris Argent gather their team and plan on hunting down Derek, who they do not believe to be dead. When Kate is teaching Allison to use a taser for self-defense, she finds out that Scott knows Derek and persuades Allison to tell her everything Scott has ever said about Derek. Later, Allison bumps into Jackson at the sporting goods store and the pair turn to one another because they both need someone to talk to. They go for a drive to talk about their feelings. Allison confides she knows her family's lying to her and Jackson says that he doesn't think that the attacker at the school was Derek and explains he doesn't think also that it was human. Scott breaks out of his room and escapes. He tracks Jackson and Allison and is going to attack them because he sees them kissing. They're not really kissing, but he hallucinates that they are uh, while they're talking. He's pulled off by Derek, who's alive. Yay. He apparently survived and crawled off to heal. And he fights with Scott until Scott regains his control. Styles, meanwhile, goes out looking for Scott, finds another murder scene and starts panicking that the victim was his father uh, until he finds the sheriff there and we find out that the victim was one of the thugs from the first scene. Now that they know that Scott and, by extension, Styles knows Derek, 
Kate and Chris spy on the scene and they theorise that Styles might be the smaller, younger beta that they know has been seen with Derek. When Derek takes Scott home, Scott asks Derek for an honest answer about whether there's a cure to werewolfness. And Derek says he's heard rumours of one that if you kill the alpha that bit you, you'll be cured. He swears to help Scott kill the alpha if Scott helps Derek find him in order to exact revenge for killing Laura. In the very last scene, we see the alpha morph back into human on a cliff overlooking the city, but we don't see who it is. And as Jackson inspects the damage Scott as a werewolf did to his car, he finds a ripped-off claw and fits it into the glove that he found with Scott's fingernail holes in it. Of course, the claw fits, and Jackson starts to realise what's going on. So, that was that episode, which was always a bit of an odd one for me. But what were your favourite bits or lines from that one, Karen? My first one is from Kate when she says, I'm a learning by doing kind of girl. And I just keep thinking back to what we know about her now and her relationship with Derek and that sort of thing. And how you said you can't watch like a lot of these scenes anymore because they're just so cringeworthy. Mm-hmm. And that is that line is just... I don't know, it's like really disgusting to me because you don't really know what she means and Mm. I don't know, it was... But I I mean, I liked it anyway because I do like hating Kate, but (laughs) yeah, that was kind of a cringeworthy one. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. My other one (laughs) is, I don't have any Styles lines this time around, believe it or not, but the other one is from Coach when he says, he makes Scott co-captain and he says, this is about taking your unit McCall's unit and making one big unit. <laughs> just like we're making one big unit. That whole scene, that there was a bit from that scene that was one of my lines as well, because that whole locker room scene is one of the funniest things in the whole show, in the history yeah. of the show. It's so yeah. funny. Just, oh, it's, I mean, Jackson is ridiculous. I mean, and, you know, petty and annoyed about his co-captain demotion or whatever. But yeah, I also had just the entire scene of him announcing the new first line players um, and Styles kind of like, like almost like twisting off the bench and starting to like, you know, (laughs) he's clenching his fingers. And then when he's like, is that an S? And he's almost like leaping out of his seat and goes, oh no, it's a B. Belinsky? And he's just screaming and Danny's face (laughs) in the background is just like, I can't believe I'm on a team with these people. I noticed. Danny's face for the first time this when I rewatched oh, it and I was so cracking good. up. He's I cannot <laughs> wait for Danny to be like a bigger character. If he isn't I mean he was at the table read for the season three first episode, so I'm hoping he has a fairly substantial role. And I really, really just want him to be like, Oh my god, you guys, like stop. You need to stop. <laughs> but then when the actual quote that just killed me was when he sits down, you know, from leaping around and Scott says something like, Styles, stop, blah, blah, And he's like, it's Biles. Call me Biles or I swear to God I'll kill you. <laughs> I just <laughs> died. It's so, it was so funny. And, yeah, I that entire scene, as I've said, the, the we're making one big unit as well was just, <laughs> the whole thing was magical. It was amazing. The other one I had was actually Styles as well, so we can make up for your lack of Styles with my oh, over, okay. overabundance of Styles. <laughs> Um, it was actually at the beginning when he was drunk. Scott's all sad about, you know, being broken up with. And Styles is kind of, you know, rolling around happily being drunk. But he's clearly not that happy because he's like, you know what? As much as being broken up with hurts, being alone is way worse. And that's really depressing. And do you think that yeah. Styles is that sad? 
like all of the time that he's that lonely. Yeah, yeah. that was really sad. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know, like I don't know if he is that sad all the time. I mean, his whole personality could be a cover up for that, but I can't imagine that, you know, he's that self pitying all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think that, you know, underneath everything there probably is some pain there and some sadness and stuff. And maybe he's just a really weird drunk and he's like super manic at one point and then he just kind of goes down yeah. the opposite direction. But yeah, that scene was funny and then it got really depressing. Yeah, I mean, it could be that just, you know, when he thinks about it, he doesn't think about it all the time, but when he thinks about it, he is sad about it. But yeah, it was just that sentiment, how, you know, the being alone is worse than, yeah, it sort of um, goes along with your, you know, better to have loved than lost than never loved at all kind of proverb thing and yeah yeah poor styles <laughs> so yeah so my first question for you is do you want to get drunk with styles because i want to get drunk <laughs> with styles <laughs> i actually don't drink at all but if i did <laughs> then yes i think i probably would but i would i'm almost not going to finish the sentence but i would do anything with styles <laughs> yeah <laughs> Nice. That's not how I intended that. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think he would be really funny. He's really funny sober. So imagine, you know, what he's like all drunk and everything. I mean, what I like about it, what I kind of liked about the drinking is that, and I actually don't drink pretty much ever either. But um, what I liked about it is compared to, you know, if we're going to compare it to something like Glee again, is that high school kids of a certain type, they do drink fairly frequently. Uh, I mean, or in this kind of circumstance. And we, we've got other incidences of drinking in the show, like parties and stuff like that. Whereas you get Glee, and when they do an episode about drinking, it is a capital letter episode Capital letter about, capital episode drinking. It's like a PSA. It's a very special episode yeah. about drinking. And this is an aspect of the of Teen Wolf that I like in that I said that they don't hold back. They don't hold back about teenage behavior, and that comes up with, you know, the sex stuff later with Scott and Allison. They do not hold back from what is normal teenage behavior, and they don't make a big deal of it, and they don't make a... They don't even have any repercussions for drinking, which isn't necessarily, you know, you can call that a good or a bad thing, but we've all, you know, we've had the scene that I mentioned before about Scott and his mum talking about drugs and stuff like that, which was meant to Mm -hmm. imply that there was some, you know, apparently normal teenage experimentation and things like that. I kind of like that they don't hold back in regards to those kind of things. They don't put a big circle around it and say this is bad or this is good or, you know, this is a very special episode. It's really, it really helps the realism of the show for me. Yeah, it's refreshing too because uh, one of the big qualms I have with Glee is, like you said, it's like PSAs every other episode. Yeah. And, you know, it's just refreshing that this is just, you know, how it is. Yeah. They don't need to explain it or anything. And I think it's good too that younger I mean, we're not that old, you know, I'm, I'm only 24, but like younger audiences are going to watch this and relate to it. And people like us are going to watch it. And even though it's about high schoolers, it's not, it's something that we're not going to get hung up on where, you know, like Glee, it's a PSA and that sort of Mm. thing. It's just how it is. And, 
you know, it's just, it's not that big of a deal. They're moving forward. They're not getting hung up on it where, you know, we would be like, okay, well, this isn't a big deal. We're, yeah. you know, past that phase or whatever. So, yeah. yeah, I think it's really refreshing. I like how they do it. Yeah. I had a thing, too, about this scene, actually, where Style says that he doesn't actually know what it feels like to be dumped. And, you know, I just kind of thought, oh, well, is this our proof that he's never been with a girl? Because we were sort of going back and forth about, you know, his maturity and his understanding of girls and whether he had been with somebody or not. And there was also a tweet that Jeff Davis had. I don't even know what it was. I think it was a couple of weeks ago. It was a little while where he basically implied that Styles was still a virgin. So, you know, what what does this mean? If he's never actually been with somebody, is he just that more mature naturally? Does he just understand girls better naturally? I think he just understands emotions better because, yeah, he does. He's kind of like, he's lying there and he's like, I know, I know it feels bad. And he's like, well, actually, I don't know. But, you know, I think that, Obviously, as well, that, you know, being a virgin doesn't necessarily mean that he does, hasn't had a girlfriend. But I, I think here we, we can establish that he hasn't. It is, I think, I think that he is just good at emotions, that he's not, perhaps even stuff that comes from inside himself, that he's not closed off from his own emotions like other teenage boys might be. So he's sort of mm. just open to people. Perhaps also he's had good relationships with girls as friends before, as we may see in the third season with the introduction of a female friend that he has had his presumably his whole life or has had, you know, separately to school. And, it, yeah, it could just be that he just has a better understanding of people in general. He does seem very on the level. He does seem very grounded about relationship stuff when talking to Scott. And, I mean, it could just be that he's sort of an old soul or he's had time to think about, He's not so driven by his hormones in a kind of irrational way. Obviously, he is very hopped up on Lydia and stuff like that, but we have seen him kind of be like head and heart and downstairs all kind of battling. And, you know, (laughs) his head and heart pretty much always comes up on top. Maybe he's just had the time to really think about what the right way to act is and it's something and because he's so in touch with his emotions he's actually processed a lot of this whereas I suppose a lot of guys his age wouldn't be like that or have done that yeah I think it's interesting too that like I mean he lost his mother we don't know exactly when I don't think but presumably you know at a fairly young age kind of young I mean they're not that old now and I think for a lot of people that would sort of mess with your ability to express your emotions and you know make you kind of a closed off person and Mm. he really isn't so I I really like that about him too he could have also potentially been through a lot of therapy I don't know about that but if if it's to do with his mother he also could potentially be used to his emotions he may have gone through a fair bit of therapy so like when we see him later with the guidance counselor he seems it might not be have been with her specifically in fact it probably wasn't but he seems very used to the therapeutic process my next point was um just sort of a quick one again but the scene where scott and the guy who comes up and takes the liquor bottle that's actually kind of reminiscent of the movie where in the movie scott uh goes into not a bar it's like a liquor store or a general store that sells liquor and he just sort of looks at the guy behind the counter and says i want 
the keg and the guy like his eyes turn red and it's really cheesy and stuff but the guy just kind of gives him the whole like keg of beer Mm. and so I didn't realize it before but yeah this is actually kind of another scene that is more than likely given that it's you know Teen Wolf and Teen Mm. Wolf that it's an allusion to the movie but I just kind of picked up on that and thought it was cool yeah no I'd believe that yeah the other thing that I really like about this show is that it's really pretty intense and kind of gruesome. They don't necessarily shy away from that horror aspect. And um, you can really see that in the same scene where the guy is burning in the barrel. Mm. And that's something that I've sort of drifted more towards recently, like with the things that I read and the things that I write personally too. And I just, I really like seeing that more realistic kind of gruesome part of life and and of the show in particular and I just yeah I just think that's really cool that they don't necessarily shy away from that yeah I mean the thing I always say to people I've had a few people contacting me recently people who read hyperball saying oh, I know you from Glee Chat you keep talking about Team Wolf is Team Wolf really worth it and I keep being like yeah it is um it really is and the biggest thing I always say about it is it doesn't hold back in pretty much any element it does not yeah. hold back and that definitely goes for the horror element it goes for the the teenage behavior element it goes for the humor it goes for the emotion it it just i mean i've said it yeah i've said it before but it just it really um isn't afraid to do anything like it it isn't afraid to i mean i'd say the only thing it seems sort of well i'm going to say inverted commas afraid to do is offend people by having you know ironically un-PC jokes in there which I'm quite happy that it doesn't have so you know that's the kind of thing that Glee isn't afraid to do I don't know if it's a good quality yeah so yeah no in all of the best ways Teen Wolf does not hold back and so yeah I appreciate that it makes it really not adult I'm not going to sit here and like compare it to something like Breaking Bad, which is meant to be kind of like the literature of television, but it's like, it it sets it apart from, you know, shows that are just sheerly there for kind of cute entertainment value. It's not a, it's not necessarily a fun show, if you know what I mean. It's a funny show, but it's a pretty, it's pretty dark and it, you know, it's not a paranormal romance. It's not a paranormal sitcom. It's not. It's barely a paranormal teen drama. It is really like an urban fantasy horror show that happens to be about teenagers in high school. It is fairly serious and it kind of makes me wish that the name wasn't so slightly ridiculous and that it didn't throw back to the, you know, it wasn't connected to the sort of slightly ridiculous movie because it it is such a gritty show and it is worth watching um, for people who really like that kind of thing. But those kind of people potentially from the outside would think that it was like kind of a silly watered down show and it's not. Yeah, I think a lot of people when they first hear about it, they're like, oh, yeah, right. You know, like, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to watch that. Are you kidding me? And then once they get into it, they're like, oh, oh, I was totally wrong. Yeah, and, I mean, yeah. you've seen that, especially since starting the podcast and people are hearing more about us and stuff. Like, yeah. we see that a lot. And I think it's really great that people take the time to look at it and realize that it's more than just you know, Teen Wolf. Yeah, it does not do what it says on this tin. It, it's yeah. not, it's, you could take the name Teen Wolf ironically. It is not what it looks like. Obviously, we don't need to tell this to you listeners because you're probably not listening to this unless you already love the show, but feel free to spread our rambly gospel around to any unbelievers and say, you know, no, it is actually worth it. In this episode, the next thing that we see is 
a bit more protectiveness from Styles to the sheriff when the sheriff's at the school. When Styles tells him to be extra careful, you kind of see this look in Sheriff Stalinsky's eyes. Like he knows, he knows that Styles knows something and isn't telling him. And it's so sad that Styles has such a good relationship with his dad. They, like how much they legitimately love each other and he lies to him all the time and Styles' dad knows that he's lying and it, yet it's not like Scott's mum and Scott where she's like, oh, why aren't you talking to me? It's kind of, they haven't addressed the fact that he knows that something's going on. That's something I really want to, you know, come out in the air in season three because surely so Styles can stop carrying the guilt and worry of, you know, ruining his relationship with his dad. So, yeah, I just wanted to, yeah, point that bit out. You said that there was some more Styles and his dad stuff in this episode. Was it this bit that you meant or more than this? It was partly that. And, yeah, I definitely agree with you that it's it's so sad to see a really good, solid relationship there. But then, you know, Styles obviously can't tell him. And I'm sure he wants to. And, you know, it might even be for the best if he did tell him, but it's he can't. Two later on in the episode when Styles goes and comes upon the crime scene, the murder scene, and he's so worried about his dad and everything. And it got me thinking about everything that we've seen so far and some stuff that we see in future episodes too about Styles caring so much about his father's health and always being worried that, you know, he's hurt or, you know, he's going to die or he's going to get in the middle of this. And, I mean, I almost hate to bring this up because I really don't want to see it happen, but do you think that this could be any sort of foreshadowing where, you know, maybe maybe not even next season, maybe in the fourth season, Styles' dad is going to die and then we're going to have to deal with that whole big mess and I'll probably be a blubbering idiot if that does happen. But do you think they're hinting at that or not at all? I'm not sure because, I mean, it makes me wonder what would happen to Styles if his dad died. Like, I know. He's not, not even just like, oh, what would happen in his heart? Like, what would happen while he was still at school? Like, when his dad yeah. died? Like, like this is obviously a next season thing, but there is, you know, Isaac who doesn't have any parents and we don't really have any explanation for where he's living when he comes back to school, whether he's meant to be technically living with someone else or whether it's with Derek. I mean, I don't think Derek is his legal guardian, so... <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Can you even imagine? Oh, uh, who would give Derek a child? Um, but, you know, I don't know what would happen to Styles if his father died. I mean, not even starting on what would happen to him emotionally, and it makes me wonder if it could be like... Obviously, it would be a bit of a repeat of Allison's plot line, but if his father died and he went just cold and ruthless, that I think he really has the capability and destructive, and I think he really has that in him. I, I really believe that he has that in him. So that could potentially be something that happened, especially if his father died for, you know, a reason that was... Scott's fault or Derek's fault or Allison's fault, like whoever's fault it was. Oh, I keep thinking about Willow from Buffy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that Styles has that in him. Like, you know, maybe not the you know magic black veins, but I will. <laughs> you know, I think I've said before. I think Styles is far more ruthless uh, when it comes. He just doesn't have the. He hasn't had the reason to be or the resources to be a total destructive badass. But I think that Styles has the capability, the logic, the intelligence, and the emotional range to be totally 
straight-faced shooting people. Not not in a, like, I'm shooting up the school, but, like, in a I'm going to take you down kind of thing. I really think yeah. that that may happen one day for some reason. And that, you know, his father dying could definitely be it. I hope it's not foreshadowing. I hope that doesn't happen. But I, I think that, you know, obviously... I don't think that, you know, this is a show that is going to have everyone come out unscathed. I mean, we've, you know, it's already, I'd say, darker than Buffy and, you know, even more sort of horrific than Buffy as far as what's shown. You know, obviously a lot a lot goes down in Buffy, but the actual elements that you're talking of imagery and things like that, it's it's pretty brutal. So I can't imagine it not having a few major character deaths before the series ends. Yeah, that would be sad. I really hope it's not him, though. (laughs) The one that I have next is about Allison's mother. And her... (laughs) She's so... Like, she walks into the room when they're planning on going out and finding the werewolves or whatever, and she's like, you go out there and you... I don't even remember what she said, kill them or something like that. You and cut him in she, half. She's like, you find him and you cut him in yeah. half. Yes. And then she's like, does anybody want a cookie? And <laughs> oh, I just, I like, she's so crazy and she's so scary and she really intimidates me. Yeah. But were you, I know you said you went into the season knowing some spoilers and stuff. Did you know that she knew what was going on or were you surprised? I think I knew, but I also don't think I would have been that surprised. Like, I don't think they would have been hiding that. I don't think they could have got away with hiding that. I don't think I would have been that shocked by it. Yeah, they can hide it from Allison. And that they've right. ne- they've never mentioned either way whether Victoria knows. And it was obviously meant as a big, like, kind of humorous reveal. But I don't know. I think I wouldn't have been that shocked. I think it would have been like, oh, we've just got up to this now. Okay. Like, were you shocked? Or did you think that her and Allison were both in the dark? I was pretty surprised, actually, and I think part of that was because I hadn't really, like, taken the time to think about it, you know, whether or not she knew or not, but some of the things where, I don't know, some of the scenes that she was in previously just led me to believe that she didn't necessarily know what was going on, Mm. Um, and, I mean, they did keep it fairly vague for, you know, Mm. up until this point, but yeah, I I was pretty surprised, actually, and she gets really intense with it later on, but... Yeah, yeah, she is somewhat crazy, yeah. She's really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The next bit I had as well was, I mean, it ties back into what I was saying about Styles being ruthless and being able to use logic, keep a straight face, and just be absolutely ruthless, is when he comes over to help Scott. Like, so he's still willing to help Scott. But then he tricks him with the chains, like he tricks him into thinking that he's going to chain him up with actual chains. And then while Scott's distracted by that, he actually locks him up with the handcuffs. And he doesn't hold back from saying, he's like, oh yeah, I'm doing this to help you. And also as punishment for making out with Lydia. And at that point we're like, oh yeah, no, he definitely did know what, we didn't see him seeing it, but he's logical enough to have worked it out. And he he's there to help Scott, but... He's not going to let him get away with that, and he has no qualms taunting Scott in regards to that. You know, he comes in with the dog's bowl, and he's just so (laughs) angry with such a straight face. Like, he's so angry, and it's not hot-blooded. It's it's cold-blooded, as opposed to when Scott is angry. It's very hot-blooded and in the moment, and that kind of calculated anger... 
I think could make Styles very, very dangerous if it was the wrong person. Obviously, he is not stronger than Scott, and obviously Scott starts threatening to kill him and stuff like that. But again, that is obviously as well the you know the moon's influence, and it's it's hot blooded. Styles' cold sort of fury is very yeah. It's something that has really started to stand out to me, and I mean it's such a terrible thing for Scott to have done. Obviously, we don't know how much influence the Alpha had or the Moon had, or and then Scott you know, obviously starts taunting him back about Lydia and about how much she wanted him. And I'm a bit confused about why she did go for it, which ties into another point where when Scott and Lydia did go and make out, you know, was it a pheromone thing? Was Lydia drawn in against her control? Or was she lying to Alison? Because she says, you know, I know you locked us in that room to protect us. You know, I I think that Alison was ungrateful do you think that that's what Lydia really believes? Was she lying to him or to Allison? I think she was lying to Allison because she's she's not stupid either. She knows what was going on between Jackson and Allison. I think she saw the spark of, of something. And mm. she is sort of a jealous person by nature. And mm. so I think, you know, she talked Allison out of being with Scott. I mean, Allison kind of did that herself, but Lydia backed her up on that point to get closer to Scott, maybe to hurt Jackson or maybe even to hurt Allison too. I'm not really sure, you know, if she's mad at Allison or, or whatnot, mm. but I think this is just another little way to get back at somebody else and sort of get somebody else in her clutches. She's at this point still where she hasn't matured into the person that we really come to like a lot in season two. Mm. And yeah, I, I think this scene here in that office was where she was being most genuine. I thought that as well. I mean, I, I, you know, and it also makes me, you know, wonder how much she's picked up on. Obviously, we know she doesn't know the whole, the whole story, and that starts really confusing with her and messing with her later. But she's clearly a bit more savvy than Allison in regards to what was going on. And I mean, I thought Allison's reaction to Scott was, I understand that she didn't want him to leave, but he said why he was going. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, there could have been better ways to do it. There could have been, you know, oh, let's, you know, go as a group or whatever. But by this time, Scott has, you know, unlike the first scene with Styles, Scott has realised that he has a modicum of of power that the others don't and that he should go and, and try and help them. And, I mean, I wouldn't have been happy. I would have been panicking and worrying and upset. And, I mean, I think Alison was. You know, she kissed him very desperately when he left and all of that. And I would have been very upset if that was my boyfriend, but I wouldn't have thought that he was leaving me for dead. I would have thought that he was sending himself out possibly to get dead in order to help me and everyone else in the room. Alison's reaction, it may be that that she broke up with him just because she knows that he's lying about something and not being honest about it, and that's the reason. And I think that that was more of it, and obviously they do get back together when she finds out, you know, that he's a werewolf. But the idea that they put forward first, that, you know, Scott left them for dead, I, I really didn't buy that. So, yeah. With Styles and Scott, in reaction to Lydia, after... Styles sort of mocks him and chains him up and Scott threatens to kill him. He kind of changes tactics. Like, Styles is sort of sitting outside the room guarding him and he changes tactics. He he sort of starts being nice and apologising and, you know, oh, I'm sorry, it's it's not me, I'm not really doing this. But he's also kind of begging to be let out. Like, he's saying, you know, oh, please let me go, I'm so sorry. Oh, you know, do you think that that was still him being affected by the moon and that that was a tactic uh, because he wanted to be released, if you know what I mean, that it was as much of a a tactic and not 
his genuine self as it was when he was sort of having the cold dead eyes of a murderer and and threatening styles do you think that's what scott was doing there or was he genuinely apologizing because i'd believe he was being genuine if he wasn't being like oh i'm so sorry please let me out you know? yeah that's exactly what i think that yeah if if he had just apologized and that was it, then I would have think that he had come out of that, you know, whatever hold the moon has on him. Yeah. But I definitely think it was still a tactic because he was still trying to get away. Yeah. But, and I just want to bring up too, that I, I sort of like, you know, Tyler Posey isn't my favorite actor in the show. I think he's a good actor, but I think he does a really great job of making that switch between oh, yeah, yeah. normal Scott and like creepy Scott you know, his voice changes and the way that he just looks and his eyes and everything, like, yeah. he does such a good job there. And I kind of like Creepy Scott. I don't like what he does. I don't like what he did with Lydia, and I don't agree with that at all. But it's just sort of cool to see Scott being kind of a bad person once in a while and, and sort of creepy. Although, I will say that he kind of pulled a Derek in this scene when he, you know, Styles came in and, and turned on the light in and the he's dark. just yeah, he's just sitting in the chair and I'm like, yep, Derek. <laughs> it's interesting that he is affected like this because I mean, it, I don't know if we ever see it with any of the other wolves, and it might be to do with, you know, I was wondering if it was more to do with the moon or more to do with the alpha and who Scott's alpha is and the alpha consciously trying to affect him because with the other wolves who have a different alpha in the next season we never really see them go into this like uncontrollable evil mode and we never really see Derek go into this uncontrollable evil mode they shift and become animalistic but we never see this kind of thing with them so it's quite interesting to me that Scott got like that and I wonder if it is more the influence of the alpha pulling on him rather than simply the moon if you know what I mean I think it's definitely part of the alpha because we know that the alpha has some sort of control over him or, you know, affects him at least. But I wonder too, if maybe we just notice it more because Scott is usually such a kind, normal person, whereas the other wolves were all sort of jerks, you know, to begin with. Yeah, that's So they true. didn't go around being like more evil. They didn't really change. They just became the werewolves. I suppose that's true. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Like it does seem to he just does seem to be out of his normal, you know, yeah. control. The the last thing about that is like when Styles is sitting outside on the floor kind of listening to him, he's almost crying and you can tell that he he knows Scott being nice to him is a tactic as well and that that's almost as bad as the threatening to kill him. Speaking of Scott, just in general, I have to ask, how much property damage do you think he owes? Like, he smashed the locker, and in this episode, he smashed his head back and broke the wall, and all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the the wall thing, I was like, oh my god. I like, I was like, even as a werewolf, <laughs> does it just make your skull super hard? Because I was like, wow, at him smashing his head <laughs> into the wall. But yeah, how do they explain that? I mean... Obviously, any supernatural show has a bit of a, a lack of plausibility, but how do they explain all of that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure if Jackson, if when Jackson finds out that Scott is a werewolf, he would certainly try to be, you know, calling in damages on his car, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think we possibly try and employ too much civilian legal logic on these werewolves, but I yeah. still think I still just think it would be funny if they were held to the constraints of that. We're going to talk about Allison and Jackson now and how unbelievably creepy and gross and weird I think that 
they are. The scene in the cafeteria in particular when she's eating the cookie and she has that bit of chocolate on her lip mm. and he like wipes it off and then licks his finger off and I was just like, it makes me so uncomfortable. I just, I don't like it at all. And I think, I like Jackson a little bit more later on, but right now he's just really creepy. And I mean, I know he's trying to get close with her and stuff, but like, does Allison not find this? That yeah, my big thing is that she seems to be fine with it, and like yeah. when she is messing around at the um, sporting goods store and she sees him later, the way that she smiles when she sees him, like, I mean, I know that she's got a, a nice smile as it is, but we've also seen her kind of look uncertain and fake at points, but she gives him her genuine kind of like big, the sort of teeth-bearing, laughing smile. Like, she was genuinely delighted to see him, and I think that she really does like him, like, even as a friend, and yeah. that he likes her even as a friend. Like, I think that they actually genuinely like each other at this point, and that's quite strange. <laughs> yeah, and I don't even necessarily mind them being friends or anything like that. I think it would actually have, you know, already kind of has had a good influence on Jackson, mm. but He's just, he's being really creepy, and I don't like it. Mm. Like I said before, I don't think he knows how to do things properly. I don't think he's used to trying, like, that he just gets what he wants, or, you know, he just, like, takes off his shirt, and a girl is like, oh, I like you, and he's like, cool, you're my girlfriend now. And obviously (laughs) that's not happening with Alison, and he's clearly not quite sure what he wants to achieve with Alison either, but it is weird. I don't think he knows how to do that very well. I didn't mind their interaction later, like the in the store and in the car. I thought that that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was and more like genuine. being open with each other. Again, I don't know how much of this is... If he really did need someone to talk to and say, this is what I think's going on, I don't know how to handle it. Or if he was trying to say, oh, I think this, and sort of pull out of Alison anything that she might know from being close to Scott now that he suspects Scott. But, yeah, I, I kind of did feel like it was that he was a bit, he really didn't know how to how to talk to anyone and didn't know how to handle what he was processing was happening. And, you know, I found it interesting that Alison told him that, you know, that she knows her family's lying to her and, and things like that as well. Yeah, it would be nice if it didn't have such creepy elements. I think it's sort of on a scale rather than just like black and white. I think that, you know, at first it was all about Jackson trying to get closer to Allison to figure out what's going on with Scott. And the more time that he spends with her, the more genuine their interactions have become. So I think that scene in the car, he's still trying to get some information from her and figure out what she knows. But I also think that he did genuinely want to talk to somebody else. Although I think it's really sad that his girlfriend was right there with him the whole time. She went through the same exact thing that he went through and he doesn't feel like he can talk to her at all. Yeah, I know. It's not it's not great. And I mean we do see in the last episode and this episode them kind of obviously drawing apart from one another and, you know, he was pretty harsh to her, you know, in the in the previous episode where he was like, I'm starting to have a problem with all your functions and it did kind of really seem like their relationship was for show for both of them and that they were not really tolerating each other. I doubt that they've ever really talked much to each other about things emotionally, but, you know, obviously we get a lot more to do with that in season two. But, yeah, it's it's a nasty way to, to do things, a nasty way to be with someone. I don't know if I could put up with that on either of their parts, really. Yeah. What else do we have? Foreshadowing, Derek, um, 
when Derek comes back to help Scott, which is nice of him, yeah. <laughs> presumably he doesn't know that Scott has told the town that he is a murderer again. You know, oh he you know pulls pulls Scott away and, you know, helps him regain control of himself and even takes him home. And they even enter through Scott's bedroom door, which means Derek came in through the front door, not climbed in through the window, which is, <laughs> you know, that's such progress. Um, yeah. But... I liked when Scott asked him about whether there was a cure and Derek says, look, I've heard of one. I don't know that if it's true because it was just honest and somewhat vulnerable. He wasn't doing that thing that he's been doing for the past six episodes, which is like holding back information or not saying something in a way that is pretending like he knows it and he doesn't in order to not look like he doesn't know what he's doing, if you know what I mean. We've discussed him sort of not offering up information and whether that's because he's emotionally stunted or whether it's because he doesn't have the information but doesn't want to look like he doesn't have the information. And I liked that he gave Scott an honest, vulnerable and uncertain answer here. And obviously he offered to help Scott achieve this if he can. He's willing to help Scott achieve that cure if possible, if Scott will help him find the alpha in order to get revenge for Laura. I mean, things end up going a bit skewed, how that all plays out, as we'll see in the end of the season. But I don't believe that Derek was tricking Scott here. I don't believe that he was... Like, what ends up happening at the end of season one, I don't think Derek planned it the whole time, if you know what I mean. I think that he, at this point, he really was willing to let Scott get cured if the cure worked, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because, I mean, we've seen so far that whenever he tries to be sneaky and manipulative, it really doesn't work out. So I think, yeah, he was being very real here. Yeah, and I think that what ends up happening at the end of the season is so heat of the moment. Like, I don't think that before it happened, that Derek intended it. I don't think it was ever Derek's plan, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So we'll get to that in a few episodes' time. My last point is about the scene near the end where Styles comes upon the murder scene, and, you know, he's looking for his dad, and then he finds him, and they hug, and then Chris and Kate pull up, and Kate led Chris there or, you know, she she gleaned some information from Allison and she kind of came up with this theory that, you know, it was one of the kids that could have been this smaller second beta werewolf. And I just, I don't really understand why they would jump to style because obviously when they're sitting at this crime scene, they're looking and they're like, okay, who's that? And they're talking about it and they're kind of, you know, discussing the possibility that he might be the second beta werewolf. To me, like... Scott is a lot more guilty of being sort of strange and weird and having all these, you know, different things happening to him. Why would they jump to the conclusion that it would be Styles and not Scott? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can only presume it's because they're checking out the crime scene, suspecting that it might have been to do with the wolves and that, that Styles is there. That's the oh, only right. that's the only reason I can think of because yeah, I don't know why they think it was Styles either. Like <laughs> That one really didn't make too much sense to me. I presume it's because they found him on the scene of the crime. Uh, yeah, that but, does make sense. But Scott is so more, like, especially since Chris, we've discussed whether Chris already suspects, you know, now that they know Scott knows Derek, they, you know, I'm pretty sure that Chris 100% knows that Scott knows about the werewolves. So perhaps he thinks he's protecting Styles. I don't really understand that logical jump either. The only thing I can think of it's because they 
put their eyes on Styles before they put their eyes on Scott. Yeah. That they happened to see him before they happened to see Scott that evening. But it was the full moon. They knew that this person was out of control. Did they really think Styles was just like, if they thought Styles was the beta, did they really think he was just like hanging out there, being human, being fine, and like not, you know, running around in the woods trying to not shift? You know, he'd have to have extraordinary control to be fine and like that at the crime scene. Maybe well, they think that he has a little bit more experience, even though he's, you know, quite a bit younger. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't make a great amount of sense, no. All right, now we're going to move into the news section. We've got just a couple this time, but they're pretty big ones. The first one was another spoiler of the week that Jeff Davis and the MTV Remote Control blog put out for us. And this one simply just said season three will be the show's most lethal season yet. The first 12 episodes will rack up a higher body count than both seasons one and season two combined. So I, I did a post on com and I was sort of just writing out, you know, speculation and who I thought would be safe and, and that sort of thing. And we know that Jackson is safe because Colton Haynes is leaving the show, but they're going to make it so that he can come back. So we know nothing's going to happen with Jackson. Isaac just got, Daniel Sharman just got bumped up to a series regular. So more than likely he's going to be safe, at least until, you know, the very end, maybe it'll Mm. be the last episode or something. And we can pretty much guarantee that the remainder of our main six people, Scott, Styles, Allison, Lydia, and Derek are going to be safe as well, because that would really suck if any of them died. (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, But at this point, there's a lot of people who, other than the fact that it could just be random people dying, which is totally possible because we've seen janitors and bus drivers and and all these people dying, which gets me thinking, I wonder if they're going to start running out of people who want to work at the school (laughs) after all these people that die. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, you know, we don't know about Boyd and Erica yet. We know that they're still alive in the first episode, at least, of season three. But we don't know anything about their fate after that. And then we have all the humans that we know and love that, you know, we worry about all the time, like Scott's mom and Styles' dad and even Allison's father, the vet, the coach. So if they were going to kill off one of the more main characters, who do you think it would be? I don't know. I don't want to say this, but I think potentially Derek. No. What? I I just, I could, I don't want it to happen. I could, but I could see it happening. I could see the plot moving forward in that way. I wouldn't particularly want it to happen at all. That would be really sad. Because I remember for this past episode where we weren't sure if he was (laughs) alive or not. I remember thinking the first time I watched it, if Derek's dead, I'm not watching this show anymore. <laughs> like so upset. I, d- I don't want it to happen because I think that he could be so much more than what he is now. Like, I don't really think that it will. But if we're talking about the main five, who like of Styles, Scott, Allison, Lydia, and Derek, maybe Allison. If I was going to say, if it was the main five, if we've got Jackson, who's not gone, gone the, our, our lead six, I'd say Derek or Allison would be the most likely to die. I don't really want that to happen. I'd like it even, you know, less if, if it was Derek. But I don't know, I could see a plot where it happened, like and it and it just really messing messing everything up and that Scott had to take that on, if you know what I mean. But I hope it doesn't. Yeah. Um I think Derek's a little bit more expendable than some mm, of the other characters, you mm, know what I mean? 
So I could see that happening too. Yeah, I mean, I don't want it to. I mean, maybe Boyd or Erica, no. maybe one of the one of the other betas that could potentially happen. I really hope no one's parents. I mean, because they've only all got one parent now, so you know. Yeah. Oh, so sad. So yeah, I mean, maybe they could end up having a little, you know, orphanage home or something. Oh. <laughs> I just can't imagine who. I can't imagine anyone's death that wouldn't. I mean, obviously the plot point would revolve around the death, but they wouldn't really mess up logistics. Like, right? Alison only has one parent, so I think one. I think her dying would be less weird than. It's kind of like okay, if Alison died, for example. I don't want to like. Do you watch Downton Abbey? No. Okay. Although it, I'm, I'm aware of. Okay. Basically, on Downton Abbey, the past season, which is season three, which I know hasn't aired in the States yet, but if you are an actual hardcore fan, I'm sure you've found ways to um, watch it because it doesn't really air on TV here either, and I just download it. But a major character of the main family died, and her husband was a sort of minor character to that point, and after her death, the husband became sort of a major player in the series, if you know what I mean. And is now going to probably be like one of the the lead characters, and his plot has become very important. And I feel like if Allison died, that Chris would become either a major antagonist or a major protagonist, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and that could go either way. If Chris died, Allison would just be like homeless. And if Styles' dad died, Styles would be homeless. And you know, if Scott's mum died, maybe Scott would have to go live with his crazy dad. And that that might be the most logical actually maybe yeah, we have to deal with scott and scott and his father who we know is you know out of the picture in a he was probably pretty nasty and that scott would have to go there and if his mother died and maybe you know someone else took him in or maybe he went on the run and that could drive the plot pretty well if scott's mother died and i mean there's people like you know deaton and the coach and all of that kind of thing but i can't imagine any lead dying that wouldn't be a really weird plot. I think, yeah, Alison, Scott's mother, or Derek would be. And if it's Derek, I, I'm not gonna be happy. But yeah, yeah, those are the ones that I could imagine. I think. Yeah, I would place like on the main main people. I would say Scott's mom would be the most likely because, like you said, logistically that would mess up less things. Mm. As far as the other people, I mean, there are lots of people. Like, I mean, Gerard is still alive. Oh, we have Peter God. who could yeah. finally Peter die. Peter who could die again. That's I'm sure he yeah. would. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, we have, like, maybe even Styles' childhood friend, Heather. Yeah. You know, I mean, that yeah, could it, cause a whole thing. It could definitely be people who are interested. I mean, we've got, like, what, like eight or nine new people coming in this season. Yeah. So it could definitely mm-hmm. be some of them. The next thing we have is actually pretty big news. They sort of piled all of this casting on us pretty much the same day. We've got six new people. The first four that came out were Charlie and Max Carver are going to be playing Ethan and Aiden, the Alpha Pack twins. And then we have Adelaide Kane, who's going to play Cora. She's the beautiful raven-haired mysterious woman with a secret tie to the werewolves. Felicia Terrell, who will be Callie, that female alpha. And then, you know, just to start with those four, were you... I know Charlie and Max Carver were on Desperate Housewives, but I don't watch that. Do you have any thoughts on any of these people as, you know, potentially... Well, they're definitely going to be coming onto the show, but, you know, how you think they're going to do? I don't know any of them, so that's fine. Uh, the twins look a little younger than I expected. I don't know how old they are, but they... Yeah, that's what I thought, too. Their faces look 
quite young, and I was like, oh, okay. I, for some reason, expected the alpha pack to be more close to Derek's age, just because I didn't really imagine any teenage alphas, and I don't know whether the twins are meant to be teenagers or not. Obviously, we also got revealed in that news article that Ethan and Aiden's motivation may not be to attack the uh, members of Scott and Derek's pack, but to seduce them, potentially bring them in, in, you know, various ways. So they've got to be close enough to our teenagers in age to plausibly date them, maybe. So that's okay, but I still wasn't picturing them that young. The other person who I think looks extraordinarily young is Adelaide Kane playing Cora. She's quite young. Yeah, she's only about 21 or something like that in real life. Which is, you know, the same age as Dylan O'Brien. Like, the, so she could be playing a teenager. But Cora, I imagined being older. I think because they keep describing her as a woman in all the descriptions, they're like a beautiful. They haven't said girl, and if it was like a school age oh, right. person, I think that's the reason that I thought she was going to be older. But we now know that it could be her, or it could be another lady who was cast in that first page of of script where we, the the girl helping Isaac is not named. It could be Cora. Or it could be one of our other new girls, uh, not Callie, who's in the Alpha Pack, but the other other new girl, which we have a separate article about. I definitely imagine Cora being an older girl, potentially a Derek-aged girl or a Derek love interest, but it seems like that is happening with a different character. That's fine. I just kept imagining her to be a woman, like potentially even older than Derek, potentially in her 30s, you know, someone about Kate's age maybe, because they kept saying a mysterious woman. That's the only reason I yeah. thought she was going to be older. And these, I don't know at what age a girl becomes a woman, but the, our kids are school age, so you can pretty reasonably call them girls. Yeah, I think the Carver twins, they have very, like, boyish faces, and that kind of threw me off a little bit. But, I mean, it does say would be young, attractive, and you make a good point about they have to be at least sort of plausibly, you know, the age of the other kids so that, you know, if they're going to seduce somebody, then it's not, like, creepy or anything like that. So that does make sense. Uh, We also got another confirmation, which was Gideon Emery is going to be playing Deucalion, the Alpha Pack's leader. So that's good. And he he actually was a little bit older than I yeah the leader. Yeah. But I mean, he looks to me like I saw, you know what I was saying a couple of episodes, I could picture him, he'd be like this kind of sassy, dandyish kind of person and he just looks perfect for that. I can imagine yeah. I can I can just I've I've got a mental picture. I'm pretty sure he's going to be exactly like I imagined. They released a beautiful sketch of a scene concept from season 3 which seems to have Derek and Scott facing off against him, and he's wearing, like, a long coat. Like, it was just exactly like I imagined. He, but he is a bit older, especially given that the others are younger. I presume the Alpha Pack would be, like, that they'd all be peers, kind of, that they'd all be, you know, Alphas right. who came together to form a pack, but rather than, like, what Derek has, like, an older Alpha and younger followers. If these guys are all Alphas, does it just mean they're more powerful? I actually expected them to all be more like closer to equals and he does seem older than expected and the others are younger than expected. So not sure how that's going to go. Although that does make sense given that he's the alpha leader and, you know, if he's older, he must have more experience or, you know, something like that. The, the other thing is um, Megan Tandy tweeted that same day and she said she was excited joining the cast as well, but the tweet was 
pretty quickly taken down and you know uh-huh. it probably just has to do with the fact that somebody had dibs on you know releasing that information as a, an exclusive or something uh-huh. and so they didn't want to release it too early but we don't know who she's going to be playing it's quite possible that she could be playing Heather Styles's friend but there's no confirmation on that or anything yeah again with that see when that came out I got a bit confused because when Adelaide's name was getting thrown around and it wasn't officially released because basically people started to figure out who the casting may be because they released like a blurred photo and people started to somehow actually trace the photos and her name get thrown around and I thought originally she was going to be Heather because she was so young and I thought oh, okay she's school age she'll be Styles' friend and Megan Tandy is 27 I looked at her Wikipedia and and I thought maybe she might end up being Cora, but it seems like it's the other way around, even though the ages are a bit off. Uh, I mean, Crystal Reed's about 27. She just looks really, really young. So it, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, and... apparently she is. And oh. and, I was, and her, I've noticed that her, age, her date of birth is actually not listed on her Wikipedia, so maybe her publicists don't want people to know her exact age because they want her to keep playing young, even though she's a lot older than the right. others. Either way, um, I'm really curious as to how Cora is going to fit into the whole story, whether she's even a werewolf or what her situation is, and whether Megan is... Heather or whether she's gonna whether we're gonna have another additional character that we don't know about yet. The last bit of casting news is that Haley Webb has joined and she's going to have a recurring role. The thing with this was is that she's rumored to be a love interest for Derek. And we had heard that, you know, Derek might be romantically involved uh this coming season and everything. So there's definitely a truth to that. And when I posted this story, I didn't even honestly think about the repercussions of Derek having a female love interest. And <laughs> all the comments on Hypeable were, oh no, you know, steric and, and all that stuff. But, you know, I don't mind. And for those people out there who are worried about Steric, you know, this is not, you know, an end to that. It could still happen. But either way, I'm excited that Derek is going to have somebody because I think that maybe it will, you know, it, he needs to be happy. And he hasn't obviously been happy in a really long time. So I think it would be really cool to see him with somebody and see that different side of him. Mm. I think the thing that people are sort of hung up on in regards to Teen Wolf, and I do understand it, is that unlike other shows where a potential slash pairing is unplausible because the characters are canonically straight, in this universe we've kind of seen that not only is there not homophobia, it's not just a matter of there's not homophobia, they don't have the preconception that the world does today of that people are straight until proven otherwise. Like, you see that pretty early on with the coach and Scott, with him, it's not like, Oh, is it about a girl? Oh, is it about a guy? It's it's just an equal opportunities thing. And I think that, that in this world that they live in, that people are not meant... It, it's not like, oh, everyone's bisexual, but it's that there's no assumption that you're straight until proven otherwise. So people have been believing, potentially, that Derek could be canonically gay or bisexual or whatever, and that Steric could be you know, a plausible thing. And obviously him having a new female love interest would reinforce the fact that he is interested in women. And I mean, again, I, I still don't think that that discounts the possibility of Steric. If this is a world where things are more fluid, he could just as easily like guys as well. But I think that that, that the like confirmation that Derek still likes ladies is what is bothering a lot of people. But again, I will remind them, you people, that... <laughs> 
if you're focusing too much on something that you have built up in your head and not the canon of the show, then you are a fan of what's in your own head, not a fan of the show. So, you know, I think that if Steric ever happens, it will be very well done and that it will be plausible and that Derek having a girlfriend before then does not take away from that. You already know that he likes girls. You already know that Styles likes girls. That doesn't potentially stop them from liking each other. But it also doesn't mean that Steric will happen sometime and that you just need to focus on what is actually to be in the plot. I don't think that people should be watching a show for the potential of one ship. And I don't think that people should be watching a show, you know, hoping that the creators force their ship to happen just because of popularity. I think that if it does happen, it could be one of the most brilliantly done, subversive, progressive plot lines done ever on TV, and I don't think it would be a stretch. I think it could be very plausible, but I don't think it would happen in season three. I don't think the characters are there yet, and I don't right. think that people should be worrying about it that much. Yeah, I completely agree. And like I said before, I, I really enjoy the slow burns, and I think that if, you know, Steric was to be done... I'd rather it be done slowly and right than, you know, be rushed and be over with and then you're kind of left with, well, that was a disappointment. So yeah. I, I'm i interested in seeing where, you know, Haley Webb's character goes and, and what yeah. happens with that. And then, you know, once we get to the next step, if there's a next step, then, you know, I, I trust Jeff Davis mm. a lot and he's done a really great job so far and I think we just have to keep that in mind yeah I mean I hope that she's not just a love interest you know I hope she's not just a oh Derek's girlfriend that she's a character of her own right and that it's not just like oh she comes in and then she's killed to further Derek's pain if you know what I mean like that would yeah um that's that kind of thing really kind of upsets me when they I mean I don't know if you've seen have you have you watched Torchwood yet yeah yeah like the reason Ianto's death always bothered me so badly is because he was such a brilliantly well-rounded character, but then his death, the only reason that he died was to further Jack's pain and motivation, and it just really took away from the value the character had as an individual, that his death was like that, and I don't like that kind of thing. Like, if she's just killed in order to further the hero's story, that would not be great, but it's certainly a possibility in a horror show. The last bit of news in this post was just a little aside that Jeff Davis tweeted out. He said, as my last tweet, I will tell you we just decided the fate of Styles' hair, season three hair, with Dylan making the final decision. Picks on uh, the Teen Wolf Tumblr soon. And the the pictures haven't showed up yet. But then again, I mean, they're going to start filming on Monday, which I guess depends on when you're listening to this. But it's a few days away from right now. And... This is prediction time, so what do you think, Natalie? Did I think he, he shaved it. Cut it? I think he cut so it. So do I. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not claiming to know the inside of Dylan O'Brien's mind, but I think he would have been like, look, I've cut my hair. I don't think that this is what Styles would do or whatever. Or, you know, maybe they'll have it done on screen. Like, maybe they'll he, they'll actually show him clipping his hair on, on screen because it's grown out, out over the summer and then he's like, oh, you know, this has got too long, got to cut it. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that they left it up to Dylan is not only the right thing to do, but also very considerate and very, like, about how that he, you know, he wants to be seen about how he feels about playing the character and about how he wants the character to be taken. I think that that's really cool. But, yeah, I think that Dylan's, you know, reluctance and that Dylan is, is very strong-minded as a professional 
you know, I haven't seen a good enough reason going around for him to keep it. Could be that Jeff has, has found something that really works. But I categorically do not believe that he would keep the hair without a very solid plot explaining why Styles would do that. Um, and I really appreciate that about Dylan. You know, perhaps, you know, it helps him become Styles. It helps him I know that like this is really random and like when Darren Chris plays Blaine on Glee, he wears his watch on the other hand. Blaine he Darren wears his watch on his the left hand, I guess, and but Blaine wears his watch on his right hand. That's like really random. But like the hair thing may be that kind of thing for Dylan in that when he has that, he's Styles, if you know what I mean. Like, it's not even just that, oh, we see that and we see Styles, it's that he feels yeah. like that. Yeah, and if that's the case, then, you know, I'm all for cutting it. I mean, I, I wasn't really partial to either one before, mm-hmm. but, you know, whatever helps him continue being such a brilliant actor and that character yeah. is, you know, totally fine with me. But I also really like that, regardless of the decision mm-hmm. in general, just the fact that that's how they came about deciding yeah, it. Yeah, I know. The, the teamwork and the back and forth that they all have on the show, yeah. I just I really enjoy that. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I mean, I again, I don't mind what they did, but I'm very, I'm glad and very, very comfortable that it was Dylan's decision. I said as soon as it happened, like as soon as Jeff did the tweet about the hair, I was like, what I want is what Dylan wants. What I want is what yeah. is what he decides. That's what I want. And so mm-hmm. I'm really, really glad that this is what's happened. And it just the way they run this show is so considerate and brilliant. And I just, they're just so good. It's just such a good cast and crew. They're so good I to know. each other. It's so thoughtful and it's so professional and familial. Like it's just, it's the best. It's I wish I wish I was on that show. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've, I've quickly become like more and more obsessed with the show. I didn't think it'd be possible, but mm. like it's taking over my life, and I'm not complaining. Yeah, not like complaining as soon as you start really looking into the production of a show, it really hooks you more than just even like the spoilers and stuff but when you really start knowing about like the production and the background of a show it's 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 why I'm so into Glee even though I like barely like what happens in the plot half of the time it's because I know so much about the production and the people and it's like it's just it, it, it hooks you when you have that you know them and it hooks you yeah yeah Okay, we're going to wrap up the episode now with some listener feedback. And the first one we have is from Twitter, and this is from at underscore unforgiven. And they ask, how much of Scott taking advantage of Styles has to do with maybe Scott blaming him or Styles letting him take advantage because he, Styles, feels guilty for dragging him to the forest in the first place, which led to Scott being bitten and Scott not handling it well, at least in the beginning. I really liked this question because it's definitely something to think about. And what I think, at least, is that I never got the sense that Scott blamed Styles at all. And I I really don't think that he feels that way. However, I think Styles probably does feel a little guilty about it, even if, you know, he hasn't come out and said it or apologized or, you know, anything like that. What did you think, Natalie? Yeah, I mean, I... I mean, Scott could very easily blame Styles in a way, like, oh, you, you know, you got me out here and this happened. But he also knows, like, it, it could have just as easily been Styles that got bitten. And it was clearly something that they did often, like, you know, Styles would be, hey, come run around with me. And they even did that. It was like, you know, 
something that I'm not sure that you could put a blame on because it was just an accident that happened as part of their regular routine, I guess. Clearly, right. Styles and Scott were always chasing about after crime scenes and stuff like that. So <laughs> And Styles took the fall for both of them, you know. Yeah. He's the one that got caught and he didn't let Scott, you know. Get in trouble. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't think that Scott blames Styles, but I feel like that Styles could very easily have that guilt and maybe he doesn't want to bring it up because he thinks that Scott might start blaming him. You know, if he brings it up, then Scott will actually feel that way, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Our next one is an email from Gordon, and he said, You said you would love to see little hints that Vampire Diaries and Teen Wolf exist in the same universe. Well, I think there's already been one. In Season 1, Episode 2, Beacon Hills High has a lacrosse game against another school, and he references the point, if you guys want to go back, it's 2830 is the timestamp. Um, you get a good look at their opponents, look at the school's initials on their jerseys, it's MFH, which could stand for Mystic Falls High. He says, it's such a pity that Beacon Hills has maroon uniforms too, or they could have completed this hilarious image. I refuse to believe those initials are accidental. As anyone who has seen season one, episode three of Vampire Diaries knows, the Mystic Falls High uniforms are also maroon and white. And I think this is awesome, and I definitely didn't even notice, but I mean, <laughs> you know, hey, you never know. It could be something that they just decided to do to throw in there as kind of a throwaway. But I also know that even though their uniforms in Teen Wolf were white and their maroon in the Vampire Diaries, for my high school at least, we had two different sets of jerseys and our uniforms were, they were red, white, and blue, but they were mostly blue and white. And for home games, we would play in blue and for away games, we'd play in white. So it's still possible. I'm going to start watching Vampire Diaries really soon, just yeah. so everyone knows. <laughs> um we had a couple from Tumblr as well. We actually had a lot from Tumblr. I'm going to read two, and the rest will actually answer the asks and post them on Tumblr, so check out the Tumblr page. The first one that I'm going to read, though, was from their Tumblr username is overrated as hell, which I don't know what that refers to, but hopefully not us. <laughs> I don't think so, because their ask was very nice. They say, Dear yeah. Natalie, Dear Karen, I love your podcast. Just downloaded the episode last week, and I'm almost done listening to all of them. It's great to fill the time between seasons with more Teen Wolf talk. Thank you very much. That is the exact point of why we're doing, why we started this now, as opposed to waiting until season three. So, yes, good for that. She's gone on to say, Recapping episodes is an amazing idea. As a diehard Lydia and Styles shipper, I'd love to hear you guys talk more about ships on the show. Since I don't ship any other ship on the show, I'd love to hear about what other ships have their moments, and what makes people ship them, for example, Starek, Scott and Isaac, etc. This is an interesting question in regards to the ships in general uh, and what everyone thinks are the, the big moments for potential ships. This is probably a good moment to tell you guys that we want to do a few small episodes that aren't recapping, episodes that are between our recaps, that are a mini episode, a bite-sized episode, to coin a phrase that Karen came up with, <laughs> that will be just focusing on those kind of aspects of fandom. Like, we're going to do one that talks about just the book, just the on-fire novel. We're going to do one that talks about the Teen Wolf movie. We're going to do one that potentially talks about the Search for a Cure episodes. And we were going to do one about fan fiction and, like, the fandom. So that would probably be a good time for us to talk about the different ships. 
I vaguely ship some ships when I read fan fiction. It's generally Steric, but that's just because that's there is a majority of Steric out there, and the dynamic is one that people really like. I think that the biggest ships besides that on the show are definitely Lydia and Styles, obviously. And and I really, when we're actually looking at the canon, it they do actually kill me. Like I really do want some sort of happiness there. Scott and Isaac is a massive one. I always notice the Scott and Danny dynamic. I find that, like, especially in the end of season one and, and most of season two, I find Scott and Danny a really interesting pairing. Isaac and Erica, Styles and Erica. Oh, Styles and Erica is, is a pretty big one for a ship with Styles and a girl. And obviously Scott and Allison, which is, you know, questionable at this point. But yeah, um, as far as ships and like their moment, the moment that people really start liking a ship or something that's represented in the canon. I'm interested to hear from anyone who who does have a variety of Team Wolf ships what they think about that so we can talk about it on the show when we do do an episode about shipping and fan fiction. If you want to link us to any fix or any meta about your ship, feel free to do that. But yeah, just give us whatever you want in regards to that and that should happen potentially by the end of the year, but maybe it might, might actually come next year. Yeah, because actually within season two, there's obviously a lot more characters to work with in regards to that, and so we can throw back to some season two stuff. The other Tumblr one was from Beast of Burden, and she says, or he says, I've been listening to your podcast on the London Underground and to and from work. I think I made people uncomfortable with my sudden laughing outburst, so I wanted to just add my two pence to the why does Derek live in his rundown house yet has beauty of a car debate. Derek's house represents him on the inside and his car is a representative of this front he pulls off, kind of, poor guy, on the outside. Or maybe perhaps not. I look forward to hearing more from you. I think this is a great theory, incredibly depressing, but a great theory. (laughs) Um, He definitely does put on a front and we see a few times... Even more than his regular day-to-day, we see him, you know, putting on a fake smile to charm people and things like that. And I think that the car could definitely be a defence mechanism, whereas the house is a a vulnerability thing, but it still is not particularly healthy. (laughs) No, not at all. And also, I just have to say that it's really cool that, I mean, I know that, you know, we have listeners all around the world, and obviously Natalie's from, Mm. you know, Australia, and I'm from the United States, but just to know that you guys are listening from all these different places and taking us on your journey to work and everything. It's really, really exciting and we love it and we've been getting lots of followers on Tumblr and Twitter and you guys are, you know, giving us more and more comments and tweeting us and leaving us great messages like this and please keep them coming because it's all very exciting for us. We read everything so we see everything that you guys send us and just keep doing it because it's great. Yeah, seriously, it's really cool. Please talk to us as much as possible we want to talk to people about Teen Wolf all of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I think that's about it for this week. Yeah, thank you. We had, like, a lot of write-ins, and we're going to answer the rest of the questions on Tumblr um, via the ask function that most of them were sent in by. So if we didn't read one out, we'll answer it there. And then we'll have some, hopefully, some new ones for the next recap, which will be episodes 9 and 10, which is Wolfsbane and Co-Captain, and things start to get pretty intense there, and I might have to dive through my television to land a punch on Kate Argent's face. So, <laughs> yeah, until then, you know, we will we will see you next time. So I'll say bye, and bye to Karen. See ya. Bye.
they still managed to deliver a little bit of humour under pressure. And I might be about to sneeze, so just hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs>